0: stories behind the white coat. This is Grayscale. I'm Ben Davis. Welcome to season four of Grayscale. Yes, I know uh, the yearly tradition of me coming up with reasons of why I haven't put out an episode in so long, but I'm going to skip all those excuses and we're just going to jump right into it. My first guest for season four is Dr. Kimberly Dow. She's a third year graduating resident at our program and also one of our chief residents, and we're going to mix it up a little bit. Uh, There's no contiguous story um, for this episode, but I wanted to talk to Kim mainly because she's done pretty well this past year, a year where a lot of people have struggled for a variety of reasons. Kimberly has shown such fantastic resilience. And I want to kind of just pick her brain of, you know, what's the why behind the capacity and the resilience for this past year. So hopefully we'll learn some things together. Hope to bring you a few more episodes this year. Of course, uh, not going to predict when, but you know, they drop when they drop enjoy. Hey Kim. That wasn't a joke. That was just like me saying hello. Usually, Hi, usually, usually people respond uh when you when you say hey. Uh that I think we may just start from there. That seems like a very smooth professional introduction to uh season 4 of Grayscale. I know everyone's been waiting with bated breath for, <laughs> for this episode um for sure. So I have Kim in the quote-unquote studio here with me. And instead of telling one contiguous story necessarily, we're going to just chat about 2020. And honestly, I really hesitated for this to even be an episode because, A, I don't want to even think about 2020 anymore. But, B, I think that story has been told many, many times. Um, but we're going to just do a deep dive on what the past 12 or 18 months has been like. So tell me a little bit um, from your lens as at that point you were an R2. You didn't know you were going to be program chief yet. The elections hadn't occurred. When we got our first case of COVID uh, back in January of 2020, Did anything go through your mind of like, this could be a big deal? This could really change the course of my training and how uh, I'm going to do medicine for the next 18 months?
1: Oh, definitely not. I was like scolding my mom for wearing her mask. And she was like, I'm in style because I always wear a mask. I'm Vietnamese (laughs) and for those who don't know me. So it's just like in Vietnam and other places where there are a lot of Asian people just head to toe covered. Yep. don't want that sunshine no v- UV rays <laughs>
0: <laughs> so not not on your radar really mm-hmm. at all I, i'll admit you know it was i was a, i have a well bias for sure and so i was very much of a wait and see approach was there ever a time where you remember thinking oh yeah this is going to be something that's going to be here for a while
1: oh no It didn't even occur It still hasn't occurred yet. No. (laughs) (laughs) What pandemic? What?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it it, it just kind of was a thing that you did for 18 months. And through all of your your chief year, you were steeped in COVID and still are. Um, And it's just another thing. Can you imagine what this year maybe would have been different if, if COVID didn't exist?
1: I think we just would have hung out more together. <laughs> I, th- I think it would have been like our two-year, but more free time.
0: <laughs> it would have been more fun. When when were the members of your family ill, or when were did, did you know that they were starting to be ill, seriously ill? Or was it more acute?
1: Um, It was more acute. I feel like while people were wondering about COVID and how things were... um unfolding i was still processing just like a call from my dad saying that my grandma was in the hospital so it wasn't really thinking about COVID, except for like i hope i'm still able to go down to california so it wasn't it was just another like work-related thing i didn't even think of it as a national global issue at that point and that was in early february
0: and so as her illness progressed and she ended up passing away what was that like um when when was that exam?
1: so um she passed away well actually no now that i'm thinking about it she she passed away at the end of january um or she had a heart attack was intubated passed away um a few days before february because it was actually uh lunar new year or that in vietnamese um and so that was a big deal um, kind of dying right before the new year because the new year's supposed to symbolize literally a new year for everybody. Um, and so that was a, a totally different experience for for my family.
0: And so, th- if that that was at the end of January, were you able to make it down for her funeral?
1: Yeah, her funeral was in February. Um, and we were able to to make it to her funeral. Um, I actually got to go the week before. Um. I was actually with her when she died and so that was an interesting experience. Um and my family is Catholic and so they very much, you know, and I don't know if this is specifically with Catholicism but or Vietnamese culture, but they did not want to to let her go and she it was it was really scary seeing someone that close to you like die in front of you. I for other my my other grandparents it, I would just was at their funeral. And so I remember like going to the attending. Um and when they weren't there I was like asking for the nurse and asking for morphine and basically putting comfort measures on. I don't know if my family actually knows that I did that, but like her she was like tachycardic, she was like tachypnic, she looked super uncomfortable and I was like, I'm not gonna tolerate this and so I just went ahead and told the nurse like, we need morphine.
0: What was the difference, if any, I don't know if you, you were present for any of your patients dying in the past couple of years, but what were some differences you may have noticed from being there at the bedside with your grandma versus patients?
1: I don't think I've actually been at the bedside as a patient has passed. I think I've been there minutes, hours before, um, and them looking and her looking just like each other. Um, it's way more palpable in the room when it's like with your family and when you have like at that point there weren't any visiting restrictions so you know out of her many children there were I think seven of her kids there with their spouse Um, so it was a very full room and there was a lot of praying it was very loud like audible sobs from like way down the hall um which some of my patients have had as well. And um, it was like a really intense visceral feeling um, just being near the room, not even just in the room. but.
0: You mentioned that your family wasn't sure if this is because of a Catholic faith background or Vietnamese background or um, some intersection of, of both, but was having a hard time letting go were they praying for her recovery or do you remember the the actual content of the prayers?
1: So it was just on, on repeat of like the standard, like rosary prayers that we were doing. Um, so it wasn't for a specific thing. It was just a repeat of prayers, but you know, I, I think at that point they, they knew. So she had been intubated for two weeks already. And so they had just extubated her. Um, and as soon as they extubated her, I asked them to give her some morphine and she was actually okay for a couple hours and so people thought she was coming too mm. but they didn't realize that she got morphine right when she was excavated and then i think basically as soon as the morphine wore off it like became very evident that she would not be able to breathe on her own
0: so that wasn't the only family tragedy in 2020 was it
1: it was not it was uh followed by my cousin who's who was only 20 um, and he died. he his brother and mom found him um, the evening before he was fine and then they found him the next morning. He's been somebody that has dealt with um, substance use and at that time he was in a program he hadn't used. he'd actually like released I don't know some a, a video on like Instagram or Facebook about, How he was doing and all of his dreams and goals for the future so it was incredibly unexpected to have your younger cousin die um that was that that was a lot harder than my my grandma who you know she came from vietnam after the war and has been through so much i lived a very full life um her husband died several years before so that was definitely a different experience versus my cousin who just had
0: a lot to live in relation to when your grandma died when did your cousin die
1: my cousin died at the end of may so that was also the time where we had kind of covid was looking a little bit better um and so i was able to travel down um for his funeral um And then also during that time, my other cousin, same side of the family, was also pregnant. Um, And it was a really interesting kind of juxtaposition because basically right after his funeral and wake was over, we had um, lunch for people. As soon as people left, her water broke and uh, she went to the hospital and delivered that evening, I'm pretty sure. So I was um, saying goodbye to one loved member and saying hello to a new one. All on the same weekend,
0: so then that gets us to summer. If, if that wasn't enough to to experience, and then a new academic year, which means a new class arrives, and you are one of our programs program chiefs, uh, along with Jay Ruby. Shout out to Jay, and you know it's been an atypical year. It's continued to be an (laughs) atypical year for sure. Um, as you know, well yourself, one of my favorite things to check in on is how are people doing, uh, specifically the people who care for other people? How are you being cared for? How do you even have the capacity to continue that work? Uh, I'm always, Interested not just from a support standpoint, but I also just I am always very curious on what people do to essentially recharge their own batteries. We talk about that a lot, but it's easier said than done. And I think one of the things that I've noticed in my position is everyone always talking about how Kim brings this like everlasting great <laughs> energy for the most part. She can get a little snarky sometimes, but for the most part, she is <laughs> she she brings like such fantastic energy and like how were you able to do that this year?
1: I think the context of my intern year made everything easier I guess. Um, I guess for those who don't know during my intern year that fall um, my husband actually tripped uh, and fell on his chin which we thought was not a big deal. I actually stitched him up because he didn't want to go to the ED and he was like what can the ED even do for me? I was like I don't know scan your head. Turns out, surprise—he had three head ble- bleeds <laughs> and uh, needed uh, emergent craniotomy to relieve the pressure from those bleeds. Um, and so I feel like having that in the setting of internia really just makes other things seem more bearable, tolerable. You can make through it, make it um, through those, through anything else, really. Um, after watching your husband get major surgery and come back from it and is flourishing um so I feel like that definitely made things easier um I talk to my parents a lot and I think some people think it's a little weird it is a little weird but I I do love it and I think they they are constantly helping me keep things in perspective um whether they mean to or not and often it's not even like advice that they're giving me it's just reminding me that there's so much more like outside of the like learning and drama and joys even of residency there's joys outside of residency there's sadness and drama outside of residency and just kind of remembering to keep that in mind um yeah I think this year there have been really wonderful things that have happened too and I think that sometimes is overshadowed by all the really crappy things that have happened but um You know, you need that contrast of the good and bad to really appreciate each half. So, yeah, I think I just, I don't know. It's so funny because when I talk about my own experience, then I think about what my parents went through with, like, the Vietnam War. I'm like, I'm, like, full. I have, like, a home. I have a healthy husband. I'm, like, not living in a war-torn country. I, like, really don't have much to complain about. (laughs) but I feel like that is the classic kind of attitude sometimes from like immigrants or immigrant children, because it's just like nailed into you as a childhood in childhood to, Mm -hmm. to just appreciate what you have.
0: Yeah, for sure. When, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so for, for content, well, Kim already mentioned her Vietnamese background and I have a half Korean background. So I always, um, you're mentioning when you talk to your parents and, them kind of building out greater context are they do they ever say um work harder or don't work too hard do they, or neither i'm just curious
1: you know it used to be you should work harder growing up and then now that I'm in like my adulthood they say don't work too hard Mm. which is so funny because I feel like I work even harder yeah same (laughs) it's the exact same (laughs) answer for me (laughs)
0: yeah I think it's probably uh I look more haggard now than I did growing up and so uh, I think my parents can see the wrinkles on my face and my receding hairline and probably have more empathy <laughs> for me. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I, I really love exploring this more, so I'm I'm gonna stay here for a little bit. One of the big, if not the biggest role of of being a a program chief or I would say just a leader in a residency program is um really having to be there in the space where a lot of people can potentially struggle. How do you sit in that space knowing that that individual um, may not have the context that you have without having to reemphasize what you just told me? Because I, the one thing that I just, and maybe this is your strategy and it works, but I, I find that uh, I'm always very reluctant and hesitant to kind of do that classic parent move of there's just, you know, There's so much more out there. You know, it can be worse. Those are words I almost never say. And so when you've been there talking to somebody on a late night um, or during a crisis, what's your approach?
1: Honestly, I think it's the same with, like, friends and patients and coworkers. I usually listen, validate, reassure, and kind of let them drive it from there. I think a lot of people just find it very cathartic to um to vent to someone who may understand um and isn't going to disregard how they feel. And sometimes that's honestly enough. For some people it's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's just their kind of outlook. Um I find that reminding people that they are so much more than just like this slice of time is helpful. Um, reminding them that they're they're cared for, they're loved for. And that um, we're not looking for them to be anything that they're not. Um, just really trying to embrace who they are and just knowing that, like, I've got your back. I don't care if you're unhappy right now, um, you are entitled to be, but... <laughs>
0: nice uh the microphone falling
1: um yeah I I, people don't necessarily want to be unhappy either I think sometimes people do and that's sometimes their natural state but people prefer to to be happy and just trying to really get people out of that zone and I think okay feeling honestly I think I'm okay with listening to people vent complain whatever you want to call it um because i know that they are going to get out of it and so for some people are like oh my gosh how do you like deal with this person complaining for you to, uh, at you for like 10 minutes 20 minutes an hour i'm just like well i don't know <laughs> they're going to get over it they just need somewhere to put it and i mean i've got space i sometimes i don't have space i'm like you're i i'm almost capped <laughs> but <laughs> usually you just you take it and then you empty it and you move on yeah
0: cap send your complaints to the hospitalist yeah. please <laughs> um can you think of some times that you missed the mark or you really biffed it when you had one of those important moments
1: oh my gosh all the time but then same thing though i just i'm like oh that really sucks but dwelling on it isn't really gonna change anything so i, I think i'm lucky in the sense that i, I do have a, a naturally like happy disposition um But I think I also like work on it and I practice at it as well, Um, trying to get myself out of that mindset. But when I am in that mindset, really allowing myself to like feel it, to be angry, to be sad, and then moving on from it. Um, I I am a, like I said, Vietnamese Catholic. Guilt is my baseline. So maybe that's (laughs) another thing. (laughs) I just live with guilt. I'm like, okay, that really stunk. I like definitely didn't support that person typically I also like just then try to compensate by baking goods and then trying to (laughs) win people back. So that's, that's another thing people can try.
0: (laughs) Get to the heart, go with the (laughs) guts. That's right.
1: Love language. Number one.
0: Anecdotally, I, I tend to notice a high degree of overlap between personalities of feeling an innate guilt for whatever Catholic or not (laughs) (laughs) upbringing. Um, but also capacity and kind of even killness, not being able to to absorb more. I don't know if that's just again anecdotal, but I have noticed the people who I, I think about when I think of wow, they have such great capacity, they often come with a lot of guilt as well, <laughs> or at least a history of guilt. And I'm not really sure. We probably have to explore that on a different um, episode. But it's just something I've noticed. So you mentioned that you, you practice. So you said to, I'm going to call you out real quick. Cause you, you, you said you kind of have a normal, well, actually I can't really call you out cause you, you did word it up appropriately. You said I have a naturally happy disposition, but then you also said you worked at it. So when you say you're working at it, how do you, how do you work at being happy? It sounds easy, but like, i i don't have a natural <laughs> this was, so maybe this is more for me but uh how do, how do you work at it how do you exercise that muscle
1: we tell people to ask for help when they need it and people sometimes take that advice and sometimes they don't and i, I know some people won't believe me when i say this but i, I really do ask for help when i need it um and I love delegating. Volunteering people is like one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> Besides like yard sales. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I I think that helps. Um, because it, it really feels like teamwork when you're like collaborating with others. Um, but I think honestly surrounding myself kind of that passive happiness with things that I love. Um, I I love like being outside when I can. I love my dog. I love flowers. I love plants. Um, I love artwork. And so really being intentional about spending my time in spaces that I really enjoy. Um, certain places for work are not enjoyable for people. For instance, I don't particularly like the hospital, so I don't spend my free time there, but honestly being at DFM, like I love getting my work done there. the, the staff, the, my coworkers, I I love being there. It's like a happy chaos that I like just like hanging out in. Um, I love my apartment. It's like not even 500 square feet, but it's cozy. Um, I have nice greenery and it just is a place where I can really detox. I think, honestly, with Kyle's um, injury during my intern year, it really sets some pretty good boundaries in terms of like work-life balance, but also that kind of Venn diagram of like, it's okay for me personally to mix like business and pleasure sometimes and finding that balance for yourself. I think some people like have like haiku on their phones. I do too, but I don't pay attention to it. Um, I It's so funny when I see people on vacation or like out and about and they're like checking work (laughs) stuff. I'm just like, what are you doing? But if that's what they need to do to be happy or give them some peace of mind, that's fine. I mean, you do you, but I really like having separate spaces and sometimes like ming- like mix and mingling with those spaces. Um, but I think I, I'm very intentional about still doing something that I love every day, even if it's just for five minutes, two minutes, having a book, having a show, going for that certain walk or that certain route that where you walk past that really beautiful cherry blossom tree, like right now, I think there are just so many wonderful and beautiful things to enjoy here, and I don't understand why people don't because it's very easy to, but I think it's, I guess, sometimes very easy to walk <laughs> past those things too if you're, you're not slowing down to smell the roses.
0: <laughs> I can imagine a couple people, like pu- people listening to this whenever <laughs> you produce this, sh- <laughs> shaking their fist in the air. I can't like. <laughs> Why do you think so many things are beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I'm very impressed <laughs> as, as, as coming from a person who tends to be like glass half empty. Uh, I think you know, I can appreciate that that's probably a really wonderful feeling to be like, wow. Like you you love so many of the things that are are right there and you're you I often talk about this when um I'm trying to talk to people about balance or quote-unquote, work-life balance. And when I was a resident, I would often, my my wavelength was very, it was a high-frequency high wavelength where I would oscillate very quickly from work mindset to not work mindset, back to work mindset, not to, and I would daydream a lot. And I still do that a decent amount, but I did that infinitely more during residency. And not in really... I don't think with intention, I think subconsciously I, my brain needed to turn off uh, <laughs> at a high rate. And so I would do that just walking on the, you know, the hospital floors, going on rounds on the elevator. I, my mind would wander and I'd think about something that wasn't work. So I, I definitely think is, especially now in the position I'm in and the type of work that I do for me, I have very strict boundaries when it comes to work emails and like I will stay at work very late to do, Work emails, but the second I'm home, I I'm not checking work emails. If if it's that the evening and also on the weekends, I try to be intentional where one of the two days I don't check work email. Of course, life's not <laughs> uh, great enough that I can take both of the days off, but at least one of the two days I really try not to be in there because it's just a landmine. The the things that like really can plummet good feelings you you had to find a way of avoiding for somewhat large swaths of time even though this is somewhat of a atypical episode at this point they don't come out frequent enough for it to be <laughs> typical anymore but um, it probably wouldn't be complete without some uh, patient interaction so along with um, family tragedy, along with COVID, along with renewed responsibility of being a residency leader during a really difficult year, you also kind of had this longitudinal experience with um, a patient, I guess, uh, two patients that were a couple. Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Oh, it makes me so sad to think about it. <laughs> in, in, in a We finally (laughs) made Kim
0: sad. We did it, folks. We did it.
1: Um, So they're a really sweet couple. Um, I met um, the older gentleman, my interneer, and I became his PCP. Um, He struggled basically with like his... he, He kept saying like, I'm not eating enough, but his weight overall, he had lost weight and then was stable. And just for context, I feel like every Vietnamese event gathering there's always a lot of food and you eat a lot like going to buffets is a very normal thing and I feel like he was just like why am I not eating the same amount that I used to <laughs> he ate a very normal amount I think for like an 80 something year old gentleman but he was just like really concerned about how much he was not eating um, but he he slowly just like declined he was less active um as well and then got to a point where he was basically spending most of his day in bed he wasn't at a point where he was like developing bed sores or anything like that but he was coming in and out of the hospital he had like multiple hospitalizations for failure to thrive basically over several months and then finally when he was discharged one time um i met him in the i was actually covering that day um, for the service and i admitted him And I was like, you know what, last time you left, you left and went home because you don't want to go to a skilled nursing facility. I think this is like really important that you come in and we get you to a place where you can get stronger and get to a better baseline. I don't know if you'll get back to your baseline, but let's try to get there. And he's still at that long-term care facility. Yeah. And so his wife was by herself I did a home visit with her and her their apartment was tidy as it could be it wasn't like a mess or anything but it was just sad like every day she goes and visits him and she comes home and then her caregiver leaves and she spends the evening by herself and that's really crummy and there's nothing I could do to change that
0: How often do you see either of them?
1: I had a visit with her not too long ago. Um, If I'm being honest, I'm pretty avoidant about it. I had like an interim note that I created just like about a medication review and I left it unsigned because it wasn't really a patient encounter for probably like five months which I'm like a person that
0: as As program director, I'm going to choose to ignore that. <laughs> it, it was an interim it, it, note, it so note. Yeah. <laughs> not <laughs> an encounter.
1: But I, I, for whatever reason, I could not look at that note. And I still haven't, like there are things that I've wanted to do that I still haven't done for her yet because I have this like emotional block or like this sense of failure that I like let this couple down. Um, and I I've thought about trying to get them into like a a place to live together, but that was a dead end and I feel very bad, but I think I'm using this, uh, this podcast <laughs> and graduating hopefully as the motivation to find some closure for myself and for them. Hopefully some sort of situation that I can throw together. <laughs>
0: Do you, there's, there's always like different layers to one's emotional being. And I think one of those layers is feeling deeply and genuinely that you let them down. But do you actually, when you reflect on it, do you feel like you let them down?
1: I mean, probably not. I mean, it wasn't safe for him to be at home. He would have only gotten worse. But I still feel bad. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, she wanted help with, like, her COVID vaccine, too. Um, and I, like, was... I put her on, like, 10 waiting lists. I called a bunch of places. And I tried for, like, two weeks. And then I called her back, like, feeling like such a failure. And then her caregiver answered. She was like, oh, actually, we already got her a vaccine. The, like, community re- came to this, like... uh area and gave all the elderly people their vaccines already so <laughs> then I was like thank you had as an instance where I felt like such a failure but they actually didn't even care that much because they figured it out on their own much faster than I could have figured it out <laughs> so maybe this is one of those situations where I'm beating myself up for no reason but
0: I think of a, a much older episode where we debriefed a little bit of working extra hard for certain patients in the sense that um, there's different motivations. And this one feels like we're go- we're circling back to good old guilt, but do you find yourself working extra long and extra hours on tasks that maybe not directly related to this patient and their functional status and their long-term care just to maybe lessen that guilt?
1: Oh, 100%, I think. You know, at at this point, all of my grandparents um, have now passed away. And I think, you know, I I regret not being able to have more thoughtful conversations with them in Vietnamese. Um, And that is just sad to me. But now I am more inspired to to learn Vietnamese and just signed up for another class again. So first class is tomorrow. (laughs)
0: Well-timed the there's always you know one of the the reasons um our program has really worked hard at trying to increase the diversity whether that's gender diversity or racial or ethnic diversity in our program is uh the ability to have that next level with your patients and in this instance you had this cultural connection with them where you can understand another layer right like it's not good enough to eat a regular amount of food. You need to be able to eat a large <laughs> amount of food. Um can you t- talk a little bit of like what that experience of like was like kind of having that background?
1: It was so um it was really I mean in a sense it was life changing. I have never really delved into my like Vietnamese background. I mean, part of the inspiration for coming to Seattle was more of a, a curiosity than um being that intentional. I was like, Oh, like I, I want to be in like a area with lots of Vietnamese people again. Um, just for context, I was born in California and lived there for nine years and then we hopped around and then I ended up in Maine for most of my life, basically from elementary school all the way through med school, basically. Um, and so I was just ready to immerse myself in maybe, but it was pretty superficial. Kyle wanted to be in Seattle too. So I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and then when my mentors trained out here and he's phenomenal. So he actually cha- trained at the old uh, Swedish Providence residency. So came out here cause I was like, Oh, it seems like I'd get good training. And when I actually had that interaction and then more interactions to follow, I really could have appreciate like how much I was missing just like in my life and in my identity cuz someone asked me who and what I am I'm I kind of automatically say I'm Vietnamese Catholic American but what does that mean um and I feel like I missed a lot of that growing up in in Maine and I would always kind of dip my toe back in the water those one or two times we would go back to California but yeah that and and that's really kind of changed my projection in terms of my career goals. I mean, Kyle and I are trying to go to Vietnam for three months so I could do like a full language immersion and really be truly fluent and get to appreciate Vietnamese, like Vietnam, Vietnamese culture as
0: well. On the reverse side, have you ever shied away from some deeper interaction with Vietnamese patients because you... Didn't feel comfortable either with your language skills or how immersed you were at different time points in your life culturally.
1: No, I usually just jumped right in whether I was ready <laughs> or not, which honestly, it was. I, I hope it wasn't to their detriment, but I was like, hmm, maybe I should have prepared more or should probably be drawing more boundaries here. But <laughs> I should have known better to ask that question for you. <laughs>
0: I was reflecting mainly on myself and my own um, feelings of guilt with my Korean language skills and culturally and how there are different peaks and valleys where I've shied away from interactions just because I felt like I couldn't hold my end of the the bargain of whatever that interaction would be. One of the, the difficult things about being a physician is seemingly unsuccessful outcomes especially for a group of individuals that have had a lot of success in their lives to get to that place with where your patients are at right now this couple um, what would be a successful outcome for you
1: getting them in the same living space or more realistically getting her bubble packs (laughs) that's probably the more realistic goal.
0: (laughs) Bubble packs. Uh, That's often actually one of the big goals. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Especially for our elders. So this kind of, we talked about 2020, which was, you know, it, it was what it was. And you are, it is, while we're recording this, this is April 9th. 2021 and you have a little bit more than two months left of residency training, um, in a unique time, you've had lots of, you know, family tragedies or injuries, uncertainty along with residency responsibilities. What's your takeaway for the I'm gonna ask you this actually probably in six weeks when we do exit <laughs> interviews but <laughs> maybe we'll just t- make this our exit interview here what what's your takeaway over the past three years because I, I think it's very very important I ask this for everyone like you, you need to take something away from this experience and it doesn't always have to be positive but this is such a formative experience that you you need to maybe not take away something positive but you need to have learned something and what what have you learned in the past three years other than a bunch of medicine?
1: Oh, my gosh. Jeez, I don't even know where to start. Um, I feel like there are so many like cliches that people share.
0: But mm, they're all I, true. I, mm, I want those cliches. <laughs> Let's go. They're
1: so true, though. Um I just, like, people are so much stronger than they think they are. Um, And when you have a community supporting you, you really can do anything. But on the flip side, there are people within our own community um, at large and our smaller community that don't feel like they have a community even though we are there supporting them. And I think it's really hard to figure that out like who are the people that don't feel supported um and who are the people that do and how can we engage the people that do feel supported to really get the other person to to know that like we do generally care about you um i think this year in particular or over this like last 12 month period not necessarily 2021 um has definitely made me more skeptical and thoughtful I think in a good way I think I am very impressionable I'm very optimistic about things in general um and I think this is a really good time for me to actually do a lot of self-reflection in terms of like just not follow not following um the crowd um with certain things um and I think it's okay to to hold people to high expectations Um, it's okay if they don't meet those expectations but I think one of the things that people are really fearful of right now is kind of speaking their truth and when I say speaking their truth I don't mean like like hashtag me too or like black lives matter or like I'm not sexist racist etc I think you know being in Seattle has been a really interesting experience too because It's such a progressive city on paper. Um, Not that it's not in action as well, but I think um, the dichotomy of, of thought is much more obvious here. And it actually kind of stops dialogue from happening sometimes because it's like, it's our way or the highway. And if you don't agree with us, keep your mouth shut. And I think that really, like, bleeds into some stuff, um, which I, I've i never... I'm not a particularly, like, thoughtful person in terms of, like, philosophy. I leave that to my husband. <laughs> but I have just been doing a lot more thinking of, like, what we see in the media. And I, I don't have Instagram. I'm, I'm not a particularly active person on Facebook either. But the things that you hear just um, from conversations or from your patients or from each other it's like really remarkable the information that gets spread and now i'm just kind of going down a spiral mm. of, of, of lots of thoughts that's okay that's
0: that's what i've been trying to probe and prod and trying to get all these thoughts out I mean, you can keep going down the rabbit hole. What, this it's is dark. I can, <laughs> this is the beauty of editing. Like it might not even sound like you're in a rabbit hole okay. at this point. It's going to come out <laughs> super succinct, just right on point. What else? What What else have you learned?
1: I feel like there are wisdom pearls of wisdom in just about everything and even from like really horrible situations um really wonderful situations obviously and there's there are always lessons to be learned whether or not you want to learn them or not and i think it takes you know sometimes like obedience and bandwidth um but also like the willingness to to learn and accept things i think it's easy to play the victim it's so easy to play the victim. Um, and a lot of things that people have been discriminated against in the past, people are owning more, um, which is really wonderful. But I think also it can lead you down a path also of of blame. Um, on the flip side, it can be really empowering Um and lead you to like a path of like more fulfillment. And I think that's a really hard balance sometimes. Um, And I see my patients going through it. I see my friends going through it. Um, Yeah, and I'm I'm curious kind of where they'll fall out on the other end. Um, I think the worst thing that we can do, and this is a phrase that people I think kind of dislike sometimes, but I personally love it. Um, like having the, the bigotry of low expectation and I I don't want to have low expectations for anyone I, including myself I think all of us can be better and we should strive for it um, it's whether or not we're brave enough to
0: is produced by Ben Davis thank you again to Dr. Kim Dow for coming on the podcast and sharing her story Hopefully, we'll have some more content in the near future. And as a reminder, certain names and details are changed to protect the identity of our patients. And finally, a big thank you to our patients who continue to enrich our lives through shared experiences.
1: Feel bad. I tell people that Seattle doesn't is not a food city, and I I feel some guilt about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we just like hit a completely different wavelength here. Let's explore this. So <laughs> that that just in that, came out that <laughs> in that brief. <laughs> in that brief um segment there it implies that there was a point where you came to Seattle you felt that it was not a food city but then there is an inflection point where you actually have turned the corner at least to some degree so tell me a little bit about um a little bit about what made you think it wasn't a food city but i really want to know how it turned around
1: okay i i think Whenever I go to big cities, I already have like an itinerary. I like know where I'm going already. So I don't have to dig through the other crappy overpriced hipster places that actually don't have like, I mean, their food is fine. I feel like I've never had like bad food before. I mean, maybe a couple times, but in general, food is usually like on par, but like just maybe a little more expensive. And so when I moved to Seattle, I was like all right, everyone talks such a big game about Seattle food, like bring it on. And this is me coming from like someone who's, you know, like live partially in California, but I go back there frequently and I eat in LA, I eat in Garden Grove and just like food is such a huge part of just my life. And then I also lived in Portland, Maine, which is also a very foodie city, but also much more affordable. So and I already know all the places there. So when I came to Seattle, I was just like, here we go. And I kept going to overly priced places with just like mediocre food. Or mm. it was good food, but I was like, this should be like $5 cheaper. Mm. But then I like came to appreciate the like, okay, this place is just like expensive because they have to pay the rent. And it's so expensive to live in this city. They have to charge this price. I still th- still don't believe that to be true for some places um and then obviously just like getting to know your city of like where to get this kind of food or that kind of food you got to go to like the neighborhoods like the specific neighborhoods for certain foods and so i don't eat asian food in capitol hill (laughs) So,
0: so it was a money it was really the ratio of cost to quality it wasn't like you came here ate a bunch of bad food it was just like i this should be cheaper than what it is correct so that being said Let's you're 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 here now, but at some point you will you'll probably leave Seattle and go plant some roots somewhere else. So before you leave Seattle in the somewhat near future, let's hear it. you just said, I don't eat Asian food in Capitol Hill. Where are your recommendations? Let's get a couple of recommendations for our folks <laughs> in Seattle here. Oh man. Uh, I mean, let's start with Vietnamese food. Like if you're going to eat something that feels like, yeah, this is this is my jam. This feels like, you know, everyone has different totems for food, whether it's home or what I ate in college, et cetera. Like, where would I go if somebody came here and I was like, I want affordable, relatively affordable, great Vietnamese food or very good. I don't I don't know. Okay. <laughs> where would it go?
1: Um, if you wanted vegan Vietnamese food, which first, shout out to Chu Minh and Loving Hut I totally judged you I was like you can't be Vietnamese and eat vegan like this is like blasphemy and then I was vegan for lent and so I could only go to those places and it changed my life then like my cooking of like Vietnamese dishes has turned semi-vegan but mostly just vegetarian or pescatarian but oh because it's it's hard not to have fish sauce or nook mam in Vietnamese dishes but I have a pineapple version now, so it's okay. Oh, okay. But um, if you're looking just for like a bun bunmei, th- then I would say uh, Jumin Tofu has great bun bunmeis. Their bread is fresh from the bakery every day. They have a great vegan mayo that you can't even tell the difference. They do have like fake meat options. But the thing is, the texture is just there. I they're they're wonderful and they like give back to the community which is really wonderful um loving hut has some good hold up hold
0: up what what neighborhood oh this is in the id okay keep going
1: um loving hut is also in the id it's also in jackson um the service you will have to see for yourself, <laughs> <laughs> but the food is great.
0: That tells you that there's a real <laughs> high quality food when because there's <laughs> that ratio there, right? There's like service price food, but some of that like people enjoy. So I uh, keep mm-hmm.
1: going. Um, I think if you're looking for like a wide spread, um, you can go to Greenleaf. They have a g- good variety um tamarind tree if you're hold
0: up hold up what's your thoughts on you said a widespread what are your thoughts on a big menu
1: oh um i think if you could do it pretty well why not okay but i'm not i'm not talking like cheesecake factory (laughs) so this is like this is like you know like five pages max you know okay not cheesecake factory okay not cheesecake factory (laughs)
0: we've established uh keep going
1: um if you're feeling fancy, tamarind tree, really, really lovely ambiance. I was also judgy. I'm, I'm finding more and more that I'm a judgy person, which is a little mm. makes me a little bit sad, but Are I'm you embracing inter-
0: it internally. Judgy, or did you like externalize? Vice- no, like when you well, like when you went to some of these places initially, were you telling people out loud that you were eating with, like, hey, this is like you could do either better or this could be cheaper or you just like keep it you write down your internal notebook and you're like i'm judging you right now
1: oh oh i tell people but in like a nice way like a kim dao way oh kim dao
0: way (laughs) 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 okay okay um so, what else? Like, we well, let's branch out in terms of what other like when you came to Seattle. Like, what was on the checklist? Like, obviously Vietnamese food, but like, what else is like? I need to, to hit this up. This is Kim Dao's food list. Like, I, I need some of this in every city I, I live in.
1: Mm. Um, Ethiopian food. Okay. Um, I feel like Cafe Chef is probably the quickest and cheapest. Um, but I also like Cafe Salam and then Queen Sheba. Those are probably my three go to neighborhoods. Um, Queen Sheba is in Capitol Hill. Cafe Salam is in Central. And then Chef Cafe or Cafe Chef. I can never remember which one goes first. I think that's in First Tilt, maybe.
0: Okay. Uh, and any other things on the list in terms of mm. cuisines? genres
1: indian food okay i i feel like shout out to (laughs) ardisher she has made us all a great fan of taste of india they have a pretty big spread um
0: classic u-dub also (laughs) u-dub indian overlap um
1: moksha in bellevue is like fancy indian food Um, Dosa House has great Southern Indian food, which there is a difference between Northern and Southern Indian food. So they're they're great. Um, I feel like Boba. Oh, yes. (laughs) This is where you really can. Oh, yeah.
0: There's some strong opinions in our residency with this. I don't know if Kevin is listening, but... Um, Kevin, I, don't I, hate me. Kev, I don't know if... <laughs> I, I forgot. I asked somebody this before because I'm not like a huge Boba guy, but I was asked, who who has the strongest opinions? And it wasn't Kevin. It was somebody else. I don't remember who it was, though.
1: Of the faculty?
0: No, of everybody in the... Like, who's the person that's going to judge most harshly? And it wasn't Kevin. I, I, I was I was not necessarily surprised, but I don't know if you know who that person is. Mm
1: I feel like Allison can be rightfully judged. It
0: may have been Allison. I feel like some people okay. judge.
1: I'm like, you don't even know.
0: Oh like, yeah, yeah. You've
1: never made boba at home before. Yeah, you, don't you know. can't judge. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, so l- let's hear. Let's hear a, a, a top three if you can go top three. Doesn't have to be in order. Oh, okay. But uh, more fun if it okay,
1: is. Okay, I feel like the key thing is our is this overall because there's like points for like boba. F- texture and flavor and then there's tea and then there's also just like um originality kind of like flavor this is
0: you get to decide what the criteria is but you can't um. break it apart into the individual opponents it has to be i'm going to get a cup of boba from one place from one place top three and what neighborhoods they're in
1: okay so this is number one for me but I do have to preface with, um, this is the closest boba place to me. Not that's not true. There are other, clo- there are closer ones, but this has the best flavor, good boba, um, and really excellent flavors, like in terms of just like what drinks you can get. So I'm a little embarrassed because I call it a Thule. Still don't know if it's a yeah?
0: <laughs> I'm glad that. You have now put that <laughs> on public record, um, and I wish I knew enough that I could make fun of you, but I don't know. I don't know the answer to this, but I really wish I did. Um, so I'm gonna assume you're you're correct, okay, for the for the sake of our interaction here. So we got that at number one,
1: number one, okay, number na- na- so that's in Capitol Hill, okay. Number two is Young T. Young tea used to be my number one sorry young tea you're just like not within walking distance <laughs> is,
0: is that young tea y in Y-O-U-N-G or or oh, other, Y-O-U-N-G. y o u n g or y u n
1: g or oh y o u n g
0: okay, so young okay mm-hmm. i wasn't sure if it was like um you know like a rapper like youngs oh gotcha was, uh, and no, they're just, yeah.
1: they're in the i d okay um also their their flavors their their teas are excellent. And they've actually picked up their boba game. So their boba used to be like not as chewy and the amount was less. But they have a really great... Actually, both places have their own um, simple syrup that they make, which is...
0: It's awesome. Mm, chef's kiss.
1: Um, and then number three...
0: This is the last one you could put on on the list. So.
1: Oh, jeez, I'm crow. Mm. I mean, I'm stuck between two places. I'm, st- Tea Addicts is in Capitol Hill. They have good tea. I just haven't gone there very much. But when I went there a few times, they've good quality. Probably the other place is Ding Tea. I'm gonna say Ding Tea just for people mm, who live in the mm, U. D. Okay. Um, yeah, and they're they're a franchise and pretty reliable. I feel like, if I was needing a place to get tea. I would I would go there. Nice. Like most places in the country.
0: Cool. Any any other? I feel like the the boba kind of wraps it up because that's something you'll probably get at the end. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, okay. thank you for wait. Okay. I do, PSA,
1: though. I I do have to say this. There are some really amazing Asian dessert places. It all it doesn't end with Blackball for those <laughs> who want to have good Taiwanese desserts or just Asian desserts. You should go to Bellevue. Okay. Mm. I'll leave a cliffhanger. Oh, cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> you should go to Check it out.
0: <laughs> well, there you have it. Uh, who knows if any of us will see the light of day, but if it does, you got the definitive <laughs> list from Dr. Kimberly Dow on where to eat in Seattle. And if it doesn't meet your measures, I want you to email me <laughs> at thebadhumors.com. There's a, a, a contact form uh, that I get random emails from, But if you really don't agree with this list, I want you to email me passionately. And it doesn't matter if it's next month, a year from now, if it's 2027, email me, fill out the form, and I will pass along. I will text her, uh, whether it's to sing her praises or to judge her critically. Um, So really looking forward to somebody uh, messaging me.